Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. We got another episode for you today. We're going to be talking about a solo game. Peter actually suggested this. We almost always only cover co-op games, but this is Warp's Edge from Renegade Games. Yeah, and our design discussion today is going to be about solo games specifically and why make a solo game if you could just turn it into a co-op game. So uh, we should have some fun with that one as well. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, first we'll talk a bit about some of the games we've been playing recently. But even before that, I want to thank some of our amazing Patreon supporters. So if you don't know, we have a Patreon. We have some cool perks like early access to our videos, voting on games we cover, that kind of stuff. And uh, we really appreciate all of our Patreon supporters and really anyone who supports us by uh, joining the conversation on our Discord, subscribing to our non-streaming or streaming YouTube channels, uh, leaving a review for us on this podcast. Hey, we definitely appreciate that. And especially Patreon uh, defrays the cost of putting on the podcast, buying games, getting new equipment, all that kind of stuff. We couldn't be doing what we're doing without you. And this week, we'd especially like to thank Juan Bernardo, a co-op lover, Tiago Martins, a co-op fan, and Mad Tiger, a co-op fan. Juan, Tiago, and Mad, I guess I'll call you. (laughs) Thank you to the three of you, and thank you to all of our amazing patrons. And again, everyone who's part of our little family here, we really appreciate everything you do. I feel like you just got to go Mad Tiger on that one. You can't just go Mad. Like it, Mad it's, Tiger, thank you, Mad Tiger. <laughs> it, it's it's a one name. It's like Madonna. You don't call Madonna Mad, right? I mean, really, it, it sounds like a luchador or like wrestling name, right? Like Mad Tiger will take on the Iron Jaw. Hey, man, don't make fun of our Patreon. <laughs> there are patrons here. I was I was honoring Mad Tiger. What do you <laughs> make fun of? Don't you want to be an awesome luchador? Come on. I mean, it is pretty cool. I, I like the name. I like the name quite a bit. In fact. <laughs> All right, but yes, uh, Peter, what are some things you've been playing recently, buddy? All right, so the most recent thing I got to the table was not a co-op game at all. It is the new game, Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, which is like the card-based version. Although, speaking of solo games, I know you covered it for the channel before it went on Kickstarter, right? Yes, I I think I did a playthrough of the co-op version, because it is also the first co-op mode for Terraforming Mars, but I played it co-op and solo. Didn't get the chance to play it competitive. Yeah, well, I think we're going to try to do that this weekend as well, because I've been playing it with my son and having a lot of fun with it. I think it's a good mix of a pared down version of Terraforming Mars. It's got better art. To be honest, I didn't miss the board play. You know, it's very different for me than Castles of Burgundy, which I did miss the board play. I didn't like the card game nearly as much. I know some people said it replaced it. I totally disagree. And some people are going to totally disagree with me that this replaces Terraforming Mars for me. At least partially. We'll see. It's very early on. These are just early impressions. But I'm really enjoying the way it does that along with the simultaneous play that's introduced from that, like, everybody selects one of five roles from Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy. That makes the game more simultaneous, so you're always doing something constantly. Now, it also makes it more solitary in this experience. So games like this, it's interesting. I mean, that's that's a discussion all in of itself because you and I like simultaneous play. But in situations like this, it almost makes it really feel like these games are multiplayer solitary anyway, and it makes it feel even more so a little bit. But I've been enjoying what I'm doing anyway. Well, I don't know if I'd agree with that for this or for Race for the Galaxy, since they do have very similar action mechanics, because if you're not paying attention to what the other player might call and using that to your advantage, then you're not playing the game well, right? 
I, th- I think like like what you do on your turn is very solitaire, but the choice of action and trying to predict what the other players do, I find very interactive, at least like in kind of a mental way. Sure. No, I don't disagree with that at all. And again, I like the fact that it's simultaneous because it makes it go faster. And in all honesty, it, it's fun to build your little engine thing in front of you. I think that's why people like terraforming Mars so much. And I feel like this game, because it totally focuses on the cards, really, you spend a lot of time building that engine and working on that engine and seeing how you can throw cards together and trying to find symbols and stuff like that. And in a lot of games like this, it's overwhelming for me, but it's really not in this one. I found the the interactions to be quite, not necessarily simple and straightforward, but simple and straightforward. You know, like I could figure them out without a lot of brain burning effort there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I had fun with it too. I, I do still think, uh, I think I said this in my review back when it was on Kickstarter, I think I would still mainly recommend this as a competitive game. I think solo and co-op are fine, but are not the best look for it. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're liking it. Well, and I've only played competitive, to be fair. I have not played it solo or co-op, but I know a lot of people like the solo mode for Terraforming Mars, and it's very similar where you're just trying to raise all three, three things up to their maximum level. So, I mean, if some people like that, you know, that'll be great. You know me. I'm not as much of a solo player, which is why it's so funny that I recommended we do Warp Seds this week. We're just stretching our legs, man. Just trying out new things. <laughs> Although, didn't you do a top solo games with like Don from Secret of Cabal or something a while back? I did. I did. Uh, top solo games for non-solo players. But that included some of my favorite games of all time. So that was easy to do because Gaia Project, a game I've been dying to play forever, like I play that solo as often as I can. So for me, that's not much of a stretch. It's so funny because I don't consider myself a solo player, but games like that I play by myself all the time. So maybe I'm more of a solo player than I realize. It's just different. It's like people who say they're not cooperative gamers, yet they play like dungeon crawls or they play escape room games and they're some of their favorite games, right? Oh, no, I don't like cooperative games. Oh, yeah, escape room games. Those are my favorite. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. We have to all be honest with ourselves, Peter. Just let, let the solo love flow into your heart and soul. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, what, uh, anything else been on your table recently? Well, I mean, one that didn't go over so well and part of the reason <laughs> I, we... Uh... I know what this is. This this was almost an episode, everybody. You're getting the inside scoop. <laughs> the episode that wasn't. <laughs> the episode that wasn't because uh, I played Wild Ascent, which is on GameFound right now, although by the time this episode airs it won't be anymore so sorry if it's hitting you too late too late to drop your pledge well, we, i guess we're not recommending it strongly anyway so i don't think they'll mind <laughs> well that's what i'm saying if they've already pledged it i feel bad about it. <laughs> like, uh, well, yeah. my, my review's out there already so i'm sure we're all on a similar page yeah no but the rules i, I don't know just there wasn't a lot about that game that that struck me as good and that's that's a little harsh. There's some things that are there. There's some glimmers. There's some hopes in there. But there's also a reason they didn't put the rule book up on GameFound, right? Like the rule book is unplayable, almost. Like it's really bad. And I was hoping that they would have redone it and put it up. It's funny. They have a couple rules videos, but they don't have any rule book because the rule book's not great. And just some of the interactions and stuff, I, I don't know. It didn't hit me as well as I was hoping for. This is not a review because I didn't play it enough. Like, I just didn't want to keep getting it back to the table. And that's a problem sometimes when you're reviewing things. People are like, why don't you guys do more negative reviews? I did not want to play that game anymore. I mean, I could probably have come up with five points, but I don't think it would have been fair to the game for me to review it when I didn't want to play it, right? <laughs> yeah, and... I mean, I've already said this in my review video, but yeah, this is a game that I think it might be good for you if you really want to play the the arena mode, which is competitive, and the co-op mode. 
because like a lot of this is a boss battler miniature game, by the way, we didn't really say that. A lot of these like kind of boss battlers we've talked about, there have been a lot of them recently, uh, tend to be only one or the other. You know what I mean? Or it's very clunky when they do both. And I think this one is definitely clunky, but that might be a good value for you. But yeah, I, I think <laughs> it is very tough for me to recommend Wild Ascent with things like Primal, Kingdom Death, Aeon Trespass Odyssey, Oathsworn, or like card games like Testament, you know, that we just covered. Uh, like, I think there are lots of other better games that do similar things to this one that are either out or coming. And, you know, of course, KDM is $400. So I'm not saying you should get that one instead of this. But this one, I think for the all in on GameFound is like 350 So it's not really. Yeah, I was about to say, this is, <laughs> yeah, this one's not that much cheaper. And I, I would rather get KDM any day, honestly. Yeah, so, sorry, sorry, Wild Ascent. Not not a favorite. <laughs> but speaking of which, let's talk about Primal, because we did just play that on the stream channel the other day. And if you want to hear more about our thoughts on boss battlers, I'm going to send you over to that video. Now, there are two videos for this. Number one is just called Primal, and that is like an hour and a half video. And that is us playing Primal and then having a discussion afterward about what we think about all these different boss battlers. But then the other video is four hours long and Mike got off at one point and Jeremy Howard got on another point. Now that is age restricted because there was some language as we got later and we did flip through the KDM rulebook and I was trying to prove that there wasn't that much nudity and stuff in there and I was clearly proven wrong and so I had to age restrict it because of that. <laughs> See, I missed all the fun stuff. You, get, you guys pull out the fun stops when I leave. Yes. I was like, oh, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> yep, there's nudity, all right. <laughs> Uh, so, Mike, what's your thoughts on Primal, just real quick? Just, again, impressions. I mean, yeah, you can go watch the streaming video, and I also did a review video for it, or I guess like a Kickstarter impressions. I forget what I did for that one. But yeah, I, I think Primal is right up there with Oathsworn for the two boss battlers I'm most excited about. I do think Primal, I know Peter will probably talk about this too, is best for pure solo or two-player. I think uh, even getting into three and four, the complicated card play where you don't really interact with each other during your turn much might make it play a little slow. Uh, I think Peter compared it to Marvel Champions, and I do think it's very similar to that one. That's another game with fairly complex card play that's really fun to play. And you have to remember, Marvel Champions was my number one game of all time recently. So, yes. I mean, that's not a bad comparison. It's not yeah, like I'm saying yeah, like, it's like, terrible like, I, because I, it's like Marvel Champions. <laughs> I'm incredibly excited about Primal, but I'm going to play it solo. I'm going to play it with my wife. I'm going to play it with my kid. I'm going to play it with Peter. Like, I'm not going to play it with the group of four personally. So, yeah, I'm all about Primal. I'm really excited to see where it goes. But how about you, Peter? Well, let's just talk the two of us, because Jerry's not here now. Did you feel like there was a lot of downtime in that game? Because I didn't. No, no, I, I didn't. I, yeah, actually, that, that's a really good point. I'm kind of reflecting what Jerry talked about. But no, we, we played a three-player game on the stream, and I was fully engaged in what you guys did on your turn, so I was never bored for a second. So, yeah, it's funny. I guess I just said I wouldn't play it with more than two players, but maybe I, what I mean to say is I wouldn't play it with Jerry with more than two players because right. he wouldn't have fun. Like, I right. wouldn't want to inflict it upon him. But I yes, you're, you're right. I, I have played three-player games and been entirely fine myself. Yeah, because there are certain games in Marvel Champions, one of them, again, my number one game, and I did compare it to Marvel Champions, but I don't feel like it's as punchy as Marvel Champions because you don't have a bunch of stuff in front of you. The difference between it and Marvel Champions is Marvel Champions, you're building up, building up, building up. By later turns, you're doing like 50 things on your turn. Every turn here, you're just playing the five cards in your hand. And in fact, if you don't, they even give you a bonus to not play the five cards in your hand, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we were right playing on average like two cards a turn, I would say, probably, right? Exactly. It was rare that we like really went crazy and played a bunch. 
Yeah, and Marvel Champions is the same, but the difference, again, is now you've got a bunch of million actions in front of you, and you can flip and do other things. It's interesting, because there's a tactical board, and you have to focus on what the monster's doing and stuff like that. I never felt like it slowed down, but we also did a real good job of not triggering the enemy cards, because the enemy activations is very interesting. They actually trigger off of what you do, and we just did a real good job of stunning them and doing things like that so they weren't activating. So I'm curious to see how much longer it would have felt if the enemy was constantly activating over and over and over again. And that is something I talked about in my uh, review when I covered it for the Kickstarter. It can slow down the pace some. And I think that's where, again, my concerns like with three and four player might crop up more. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great game. And <laughs> it's funny to compare it to Wild Ascent and some of the other boss battlers. I don't know if you feel this way, Peter, but I found more interesting tactical positioning in Primal with literally four spaces of movement than Wild Ascent with an entire giant board. <laughs> yes, I, I was because people kept calling and even you called Wild Ascent a tactical combat game. And people say that about Sword and Sorcery, too. And I'm like, I don't find anything interesting about the tactical combat part of those games. Like for me, I love tactical combat. Blood Bowl is one of my favorite games of all time. Summoner Wars, one of my favorite games of all time, have very tactical movement to me and movement that matters. And I just didn't see it as much in those games. I'll say, I don't think you ever got this far, but I've watched some of like Colin and Barrett and Steve's playthroughs of Sword and Sorcery later. And Colin's even told this to me. He agrees that Sword and Sorcery starts pretty rough because you don't have enough abilities. But in the later game, like especially when you get into Act 2 and stuff, not that I would ever get that far, (laughs) um, the options really open up. You have more skills to use. The enemies do more interesting things. So the combat becomes more tactical is at least what I've heard. Well, but the problem is that if you play it solo or two player, you're never going to get there, right? Like, I don't think you can do cool tactics with two characters on the board. Well, right? yes, that, that's a good point. That's- so and, and that's part of the problem with how I played it, too. I only played it low player count. And maybe that was part of the problems. But if you need to have more players in your game and we're getting a whole design discussion before you get started, <laughs> if you need more players in your game to make the tactics interesting, then don't make it a two-player game in a solo game, right? Like, if if you're counting on multiple players in the game and multiple actors in the game to make the game more interesting, say minimum three characters, minimum four characters, there are plenty of games that do that. I mean, I don't know why you'd put out a, your game in a way that people could play it for the first time and not be excited about it. Like, in a player count that's not, it's not good at, right? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is getting to our design discussion. So let's table that for now. And yeah, I'll quickly share a couple things I've been playing. I just had uh, today, like as of this recording, William or Will the Hungry Gamer. Go check out the Hungry Gamers YouTube channel. Uh, Will actually is visiting his parents who live in Maryland, same state as us. And he uh, came by today. So we played two games of Paleo. And one game of Bullet Competitive. And I have not played much of Bullet Competitive. And these are, uh, if you haven't listened much, these are by far my favorite games of the year so far. Like retail games, not Kickstarters and such. I love Paleo, love Bullet. And it was a great, great time for both. Uh, He killed me in Bullet and that was still fun. I still had a great time. And we tried out a new scenario in Paleo I'd never done before. And it was very, uh, very tough. (laughs) Very challenging (laughs) scenario. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Now you played it twice. Did you beat it the second time or no? Oh, no, no, uh, we uh, we did a more intro scenario to teach him the game. Then he was like, throw something hard at me. And I, I didn't make it hard enough because I coupled the really hard scenario with one of the easiest scenarios to gotcha. kind of like have a bit of both. And we got like four of our five victory points from the easy scenario. So I was like, well, we don't really know how tough this other one was, but it was still fun. 
And then besides that, what's on my table right now is On Mars. Uh, I'm learning the solo original game because I have a prototype of the uh, upcoming expansion that's coming to Kickstarter pretty soon. And that one has co-op for On Mars and uh, a new solo mode that is more varied. Because I already know in my review, I'm going to complain. I, I always complain about this for Lacerda. Uh, like the way he just has like kind of goals to achieve for solo and it lacks replay. The expansion seems to fix that. So I'm very excited. I'm, I'm enjoying my first plays with just the base game. I'm very excited to throw in the cooperative and solo elements and, and cover those for the Kickstarter pretty soon. Very cool. All right. Well, let's get into Warp's Edge, shall we? Yeah, let's talk about it. All right. So theme, you're a spaceship. There's an enemy mothership. You're trying to blow it up. It's got lots of little swarm fighters coming after you. And yeah, you either blow it up or it blows you up. Hey, 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 now it's cooler than that, because I don't know if you read the little like storybook that comes with it, but do you know what the warps represent? I mean, no. I- I'm Mr. Theme Man here. Why would I have read the theme? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so in the game, you play through multiple warps. I'm sure we'll talk about that in our review. And what it represents, Peter, is Groundhog Day slash Edge of Tomorrow style. You are like doing a time loop. Like your character, sh- your ship has the ability to go back in time, keeping the experience you've learned and like the skills you've uh, mastered and like try again to defeat all the enemies and defeat the boss. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, especially the way that the game works, it makes sense that you are doing the same thing over and over. I was kind of curious about that, why you were fighting against the same enemies over and over going after the same mothership and why the damage persisted. So, well, now that being said, somehow the uh, enemy mothership still stays damaged when you do the time loop. So I don't know how that works. <laughs> That's Oh, they didn't explain that one. <laughs> uh, maybe they did. I, I skimmed that part of the rule book, so maybe, maybe they explained it. <laughs> nice. Well, I skimmed it so much, I didn't even read it. So, boom. <laughs> All right, so I'll talk about the mechanics. This is a solo only, although I do have a co-op variant that I'm still playing around with. I might make a video for it at some point. It's nothing special. <laughs> so don't get too excited for those listening to this. But yeah, this is a solo only uh, bag builder. So you start out with a weak uh, allotment of tokens in your bag, and you draw generally five a turn, and there's a little row of enemies, usually four at a time, and they start out weak, but as you dig deeper into that pile, you've got stronger enemies. And your tokens tend to be lasers, which can blow up enemies, evasion uh, tokens, which can evade the enemies, and energy that lets you buy new stuff and heal your ship. And basically, the vast majority of enemies you kill will give you a token to add to your bag. And whenever you run out of tokens in your bag, that's the end of the warp. You rewind time, you shuffle all the enemies back in, and you got to fight them again. And eventually you're trying to get to this boss and destroy them. And there's a big variety of bosses. Some of them you're actually fighting the entire time. Some of them you don't fight until you've killed all the enemies. And you're also getting like these skill cards. But the basic idea is adding more and more tokens and culling and strategically trying to get the exact tokens you want to take out all the enemies and make your way to the boss. Well, you said there's three types of tokens. Don't forget, there's one more type, which is the power tokens. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Which is some combination of those three things, right? Energy or evasion or blasts. But there are five tokens that are called power tokens. One's the P, one's the O, one's the W, one's the E. Guess what the last one is? R. You got it. R. R. We be space pirates here. (laughs) No, I mean, there kind of are space pirates here. That's why I had to do it. (laughs) Kind of works. Kind of works. But yeah, so those are different for every ship. But we'll get into that more later. Because, I mean, literally, if it was just three types of tokens, I don't think this game would be... uh, We we wouldn't be talking about it today. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, so uh, for those who don't know our review format, uh, we will talk about the five things that stand out to us most about the game, uh, going from our number five, which is not quite as important, but still pretty important, all the way to our number one, the thing we think is most memorable or important about the game. And uh, then we'll have our final thoughts. So Peter, you want to talk about your number five for Warp's Edge? Sure. My number five is those different warps. And it's kind of interesting how it happens. I'm not going to talk about all the mechanics of it, but basically when you get to the end of your bag, you shuffle up all the enemies you are currently fighting and all the enemies you have defeated, and you put them back on top of your deck, similar to Pandemic, I guess, when you draw a... uh, uh, epidemic, you like kind of put all the bad stuff back on top again. So you're fighting the same enemies that you've already gone through. So you can kind of plan a little bit. And, and there are a variety of different enemy ships. Now, to be honest, they're not that different from each other, but you might plan like some of them require money to get by or energy. I'm sorry, not money. Some of them are easier to kill with lasers. Some are easier to avoid with evasion. So you might plan your strategy around seeing that deck and also you know what the boss is going to need to defeat as well so you could plan your strategy around that because you're shuffling those back up and putting them back on top so it does not though feel to me similar to other games uh, time stories being the biggest example of this where you have to play through the entire thing again and it's probably because each warp is 10 minutes maybe certainly the early ones are faster than the later ones which take a little bit longer as you have a bigger and bigger pool of tokens to go through Yep, I'll be talking about that in just a moment. But first, my number five is looking at the skill cards. So you get, at the beginning of the game, you draw two skill cards, pick one to keep, and at the uh, beginning of each new warp, you do that again. There are even some enemies that can give you more cards. But uh, generally, I like these. Uh, Peter already talked about how you have like these power tokens and like different things you can build into your bag. But the nice thing about the skill cards is they kind of change up your leveling. It's not all bag builder. These are always available every warp for you to use, and they get refreshed at the beginning of each warp. And the nice thing is you do have to use different tokens to activate them, but you can preload those tokens on any of your turns. So it gets uh, kind of increases the tactical choices you have in a given turn with your tokens as you get more skills that you might want to use, and you can pull off like cool combos and awesome turns with them. So it, it's a minor touch, but I think the inclusion of these skill cards elevates the tactical play and the kind of feeling of leveling up that you already get from the bag building to an even greater level. Yeah, and I didn't touch on this, but this is a very key point to the game. It should have been on my list for sure. It is really neat how every game you go in, you do something different based on what skill cards come out and become available to you. Although I'd find myself picking the same things over and over again, I did feel like some were better than others, at least for my play style. Did you find yourself picking the same ones each time? Yeah, sometimes. But the thing is, they do a mechanic that I always like a lot, which is the draw two, pick one. So it's always relative evaluation. And yes, like there are some skills I'm like, I'm always going to take this, but I might not always take it based on my ship, what tokens I'm building into. Like there are some ships that are terrible at evasion. You never want to get evasion for them. So even if I get my favorite skill, if it requires two evasion to turn it on, I'm not going to get that skill in that game. So for me, I think there's enough variety that I would not always get the same ones, but I can see that being possible. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, so my number four is the bosses. And all the bosses play very differently. There's one I like better than the rest. Should I spoil it? Ah, go ahead, man. We, I think we've done at this point two or three playthroughs on the channel between me and Colin, so they probably already saw them. No, I don't think you saw this. I don't think you played this one, though. It's the ship that transforms into a giant robot. No, that's literally the one I did for my first video. <laughs> well, clearly I don't watch your videos then, but yeah, Thanks, it's like a, Thanks. It, it's a transforming ship. I mean, come on. Like, I don't know. The mechanics aren't that special in it, right? But it's 
pretty cool that like you beat this ship and then it transforms in its like alternate form. And let me tell you, that's one of the tougher ones because you need all blasts to blow up the ship and then it flips over and you really have to have a lot of evasion coming out or you need to earn a lot of evasion in that round when you're fighting against it. Oh yeah, and he murders you if you don't evade a single round. He just rips you to yes. shreds if you don't have an evasion every round. <laughs> yes, because he has 10 damage if you don't evade him. So yeah, no, it, it is a really cool boss. That is just one of the many bosses, and they all play pretty differently, and they all have very simple mechanics to make them feel different, but they all do feel different. A lot of them you can't attack until after you defeat all the enemy ships, but it feels very different when you can attack them, because now you not only are attacking the enemy ships in front of you, but now you have to worry about this boss attacking you as well. And some of them will have mechanics that'll protect the enemy ships from certain things. So I don't know. I I think it's kind of fun. I think it's kind of neat what they did with a very simple system. And this is the best part of it for me. It takes almost no time to set up. Like it is really quick. It's like, all right, shuffle the enemies. You need four level threes, five level twos, six level ones, put them on a pile. And now you, you start playing, right? So it's pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. I'll get into that again. You're, you're like a, you're superseding me a bit. Uh, <laughs> my number four uh, was your number five, the warp structure. I agree with everything you said. The only thing I'll add in is I just kind of like the, the feeling of it overall, how you get further and further into the enemy deck each time. And like, you feel really cool if you can get to the boss and like damage them a bit, uh, like earlier than maybe you should. And then you have to like, kind of feel the timing. Sometimes you're behind the curve and like, you have to really push And yeah, I I just think like the way the game kind of resets, but since you're growing so much in your bag and in your skills, it doesn't feel dull to me ever, even fighting the same enemies. It kind of like the the puzzle continues to be interesting. So I think the overall structure of the game is fairly unique and I think fun. Well, and I'm going to build on that a little bit. And I actually made this a separate point. My number three is the way the warp triggers is when you get done with your bag. So if you think of it as a deck builder, when you go through your deck, that's when the warp triggers. And I think that makes it very unique from other games of this style. And I don't know that anybody's done that before where something triggers when you get through your deck because it's always this shuffle moment, reset moment anyway. I don't know anybody's actually made it a reset moment before though. And I think it's really clever. And I think it's something that will probably get stolen and used in the future because I do think it's a clever timing thing. So a lot of times you want card draw in these games and things like that. But I found in Warp's Edge, sometimes drawing extra tokens was a negative because you'd go through your bag faster than you wanted to. Maybe you wanted to stun them for a turn and, and prepare for a really good next turn. And sometimes I'd find myself, instead of buying a two laser, because each level laser, you can buy them with your energy. So if I had two energy, I might not buy a level two laser, which in almost every other game would be better than the level one, but I might buy two level one lasers because I know I only have three tokens in my bag. If I buy one, I'm at the end of the warp. But if I buy two, it lets me go an extra turn into the warp. Sometimes I wouldn't want to draw tokens from the bag because I knew I had five in there. So I think it led to some interesting decisions near the end of the bag. And I don't know that it would work as well in a deck builder because it's hard. You don't want to keep recounting cards. It's pretty easy to recount tokens in a bag, though. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, my number three is the bag building. And this is actually I'm like referring to my own YouTube video to remind myself what my notes were before. But I'm switching this after my more recent plays. This used to be my number two, but I'm pulling it back a little bit because I don't think this is going to appeal to everyone. And Warp's Edge is one of, I think, two games that I've reviewed in all my time with One Stop Co-op Shop that got all five pros from me. And this is one that 
I would still call a pro, but I could see it being a mix for other people. So for me, bag building is a consistently fun mechanic, just like deck building is. I really enjoy those. And why do I enjoy them? Consistent forward progress, and you feel more and more awesome. You go from rags to riches in the course of an hour. And this game definitely has that in a strong way. Like you are so weak and barely surviving at the beginning. And by the end, with all these power tokens and things you get, uh, just so many cool combos you can pull off and uh, cool plays you can make. But uh, the negative side, I think, for some people, especially depending on where your kind of deck and bag building preferences lie, is that it does feel pretty random. And sometimes like what you get is kind of forced. Because, uh, like I said in the description of the game, whatever you destroy, whatever you defeat of the enemies, you have a choice of whether you defeat them with lasers or evasion. Sometimes you have a choice, (laughs) but that's going to determine what they give you. So you'll often, especially like mid to late game, just be getting like random stuff you don't really care about. But like Peter said, you need more tokens to survive longer and keep fighting anyway. So I I don't think this is the best game for big combos in the building. If that's what you come to for like deck building and bag building, if you want to uh, do like the Dominion thing where you like build this perfect engine and X equals Y equals Z equals, you know, A, and you get like a million points in five seconds and you like your turn goes for 10 hours. That is not here at all. But if you like the progression and the feeling of power from bag building with maybe a bit more of a random feel, not a ton of choice. This is still a lot of fun for me, still a pro for me, but I do, with more distance between me and my original review, see that it could be uh, much more of a mix or even a con for some people based on your taste. Yeah, I'm going to get into that later, but my number two is stunning, and I can't believe we made it this far into the review and never talked about what stunning is in the game. Yeah, good point. (laughs) So uh, if you do anything to an enemy ship, whether it's evade it once or hit it with a laser once, and that includes the boss ship as well. You stun that ship so it does not attack you back. So on the top, it'll say you need four lasers to destroy, two evasion, and it does two damage to you, right? And it might have some special text in there that says this ship cannot be stunned by lasers or this ship cannot be stunned by evasion or whatever. Sometimes it even costs energy, as I was saying. I guess you're paying off like those uh, pirate ships. So if you pay them off at all or shoot them at all or or evade them at all, they will not attack you at the end of the round most of the time. Again, unless it says those ships avoid stunning. So I think that's a very clever mechanic as well. So for me, this has brought, you know, a couple of neat things to the co-op verse because think of any fighting game you've ever played in the past. It's always better to burn one thing down, kill it so you have one less thing attacking you. But in this game, it's much better to spread the wealth and not kill anything necessarily. So that way you can not take damage back. I just like the way that mechanic works. And I also think it makes you, especially as you're getting to the end of the warp, you know, your bag is dwindling down. Okay, what do I really want to kill? Which tokens do I really want to get off of defeating these ships? And which ones do I not care so much about? I'll either stun them or I'll take the damage. And again, this is another neat mechanic, the way they do it. As you lose your shields, so you have shields and you have hull points. As you lose your shields, which you can repair later, you also discard chips from your bag. And again, you get to pick the ones from your discard pile that you want to discard. And and usually it's like, oh, great. I'm getting rid of my one attacks or whatever, or my one monies or my one evades or whatever. You would think that. But then at the same time, again, you're shortening your warp for later on. So it's an interesting choice there. And I think they make things valued differently than any other deck builder because of these interesting mechanics. Yep, I totally agree. Um, I'm going to, again, I'm kind of combining points uh, for 
talking about later. But uh, let me kind of hit back to something Peter talked about for my number two, which is I, I added the bosses and the player ships and the variety for both of those things, because I think it's the combinations that really give the game a lot of its legs and replay value. So Peter already talked about the bosses and I had mentioned this earlier, but not only do you have like cool things like a transforming robot and other challenges, but the drastic difference in feel, like truly <laughs> monumental difference between pay- playing the bosses that you have to get through all the enemies to start fighting and the bosses that are shooting at you from the get-go and never let up. It feels like almost, I won't say a different game, but it feels like a like it requires entirely different strategy. So I love kind of the interplay between those two types of bosses. And uh, there's just, like, lots of fun things the bosses do. Like, you have these uh, two heads that will, like, shut down lasers or evasions every other turn and, like, totally change up what you can do on your turn with the other enemies. So really cool things in the bosses. But what Peter didn't mention yet is uh, the player ships and how varied they are. I wonder why I didn't mention it yet. Oh, well, crap. Wait, so I do want to... I'll try not to steal too much thunder. No, um, no, go for it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so one thing I'll say that is a complaint, and this is the same as what I said for Bullet. Bullet uh, ranked the player characters. Yes, I can tell which one is more co- uh, confusing than another, but did not rank the bosses, just left the players to figure it out for themselves. And Warp's Edge does the opposite. They rank all the bosses, but they don't tell you which player ships are tougher or easier. And, you know, again, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> like the ones that are worse at using lasers every time or worse at using evades every time, like clearly those are harder. But the thing is, I love how uh, those difficulties vary because, for example, I played the game tons of times. My last game, I played with one of the toughest player ships against the first boss and lost. And I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact that I can keep the easier bosses exciting or the tougher bosses by varying up which ship I play is a lot of fun. Now, there's some other really cool things about the player ships, and I'm going to stop talking because I don't want Peter to run out of stuff. So, Peter, what's your number one? <laughs> My number one is the player ships, Mike. Wow, what, what, <laughs> what, what's cool about them, dude? <laughs> well, I combine player ships with the bag building because I do think they are tied together so closely because every ship not only has different hull and shield value and and one little special power. And sometimes, like Mike said, it's it's a negative power. But the other way the ships are different is the power tokens. So those five power tokens we're talking about are different for every ship. And that's, to me, what makes every ship feel very different. Some ships have things that are more luck-based, where you flip your token, and depending on what side comes up, it either does a whole bunch of stuff or absolutely nothing. So those, if you're like a gambler and you like that kind of mechanic, they have that in there for you. Uh, Some ships are definitely more consistent and just do more consistent damage or more consistent evades across the board. I think they all have one or two tokens in there where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to try to get that one. But then as Mike said... You destroy a ship and it gives you that one. It's like, okay, now I got to try to figure out how to make this thing work within my strategy, right? So I do think it's neat how every ship builds differently. Now, with that being said, it does make it interesting to play against the different bosses because your ship feels the same. And while the bosses are different, I don't know that they're different enough that it makes me change up too much about what I'm doing because there really is only three levels of currency there, right? It's And most of them require attacks and you probably need some evades. And, you know, money is always good to buy those attacks and evade. So even though there are three levels of ships there, I don't know that I tactically do much different. I, I more base my strategy on my ship than what they can do a lot of times. And even most of the time, you're not even fighting the boss, right? You're fighting the enemy row in front of you. So I think even that, the variety of that, the variety of level one ships, level two, level three, changes what I do sometimes more so than even the boss will. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's fair to say. I still find it exciting, especially for a not-too-expensive solo game. But yeah, it's not like you are playing literally a completely different build. And that goes back to the bag-building limitations, you know? It is very much a quick, tactical, I'm going to get something fun in my bag and blow some things up game, not a, I'm going to try out a completely new strategy no one's ever seen before <laughs> kind of game, you know, each time you play. Yeah, and we'll get into value in a minute, but uh, that that was actually my number one point, to be honest, before we started. I kind of stuck number five in, because so I was like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. Well, I'll talk about value in my final thoughts, because I have some thoughts on value on this one, but go ahead and uh, get to your number one. Yeah, so my number one uh, combines a few things we've already talked about, and it's just kind of like the tactical play in general. I will say kind of like the bag building, it's not the most strategic game in the world. Like, And, and like a lot of deck builders and bag builders in general. Like you draw some things and hey, sometimes it's going to be obvious what you should do. Okay, I drew five lasers. Okay, really, how much choice do I have here? But that being said, Peter kind of already hit on this, but the stunning mechanic and how you sometimes want to kill enemies outright and you sometimes just want to kind of like hold them off. But even though Peter said it's almost always a good thing to stun all the enemies, which is true, Sometimes that is a trap because you end up wasting things because like you stun this guy with a laser, but now you have to use evasion to kill him. So that laser basically did nothing for you except prevent some damage that turn. But then adding on the fact that you have a hold where you can put some tokens and hang on to them for the next turn and the skills that again, you can put your tokens on there. And the fact that if you kill an enemy with lasers versus evading, it'll build an entirely different token or effect into your bag. It's it's not super heavy, and I don't want it to be. This is a game that I can crank out a solo game in 30 minutes to like maybe max an hour, but usually not that long. Well, hold on. Let me stop you there. This is a game that I can solo in 30 minutes. Like, that's more important to the people than you can solo, <laughs> because honestly, I'm shocked you didn't say 10 minutes, because you are so much faster a player than most other people. If you've seen any of Mike's playthroughs, you know that's true. Like, I can solo this in 30 minutes. So I think that says something for the game. But continue, sorry. Yeah, so again, this is a pro for me. This game is still a all five pro for me, but just like the bag building, I do want people to go in with their eyes open. This is a quick, fun solo game with pretty cool variety and a lot of like fun pow pow laser some enemies in space <laughs> gameplay. But like, it's not the most strategic. It's not the most combo-tastic thing out there. I, I it, it hits a sweet spot for me, but might not for everybody else. And well, I guess why don't you finish your yeah, final thoughts? That's, that's what I was there. about to say. Yeah, so this, uh, this was, I think, my top in my top five games I covered last year out of, like, 80 games I covered. Uh, I love this game. Th- this and Under Falling Skies hit similar spots for me in very tactical, engaging, uh, varied, solo-only games. But I give Warp's Edge the nod. I gave Warp's Edge the nod last year, and that continues to be the case. It's quicker to get to the table for me. It's a little bit less brain-burny. It is super fun. And I think I might have talked about this in a previous podcast, but I've been playing it with uh, my son, my eight-year-old, and just kind of like coaching him through and helping him get through it. And he loves it too. And yeah, it's a really, really fun game, Uh, especially, I I guess Peter will talk about value, but I think it's a great value personally. I I strongly recommend this one. I think Renegade might have announced, they had like a small expansion called, I think, the Viren, which I picked up. And they have like deluxe tokens. You don't really need those. I think the tokens, the base tokens in this one are a little bit nicer than bullets. You can get away with them or get coin capsules. But yeah, I would love to see more Warp's Edge content. Give me more bosses. Give me more enemies. Give me more ships. Give me more skills. Give me more token types. I'm in for all of it. I, I love this game. 
Yeah, and I will say, when I first heard you say you were playing solo games with your kid, I made fun of you, actually, all on the podcast. I remember very specifically doing so. Well, guess what? I played this game with both of my kids individually. I showed it to them. I, I walked them through how to play it, and I just watched them play. And you're right. This is a fun game because it's so quick. It's a fun game to play, and it's a fun game to watch. And I like seeing how people think differently than I do and use ships differently than I would or do the same thing I did. I'm like, yeah, I did that too. That is a good strategy. All right, that worked out really well. So I I don't know. I think it is a fun game. I am very high on this one as well. I liked it way better than I thought I would. I mean, trust me, of all the games Mike brought over for me to try, I did not think Warp's Edge was going to move to the top of my list and be the the one I was most excited about. But it certainly is. Now, I do want to caution a couple things. Number one, I think it's out of print right now. Oh, is it? it I think it's in reprint, but I think when I visited uh, Renegade's site, it was they said reprint coming soon or something like that. So I don't think it's technically in print right now, although I saw in BGG you could get it for $35. Some of them were like 50 bucks, but I think you can get it if you really want it, but I don't think it's readily available right now. The other thing is... The price, $35 is a good price, and it actually comes with a lot. I like the game trays inside. All that stuff was awesome. But I personally, I did not see the regular chips, so maybe Mike's right. Maybe you'd be fine with it. But the plastic chips are pretty stinking cool, but they're 20 bucks, right? And and I enjoyed playing with them. And I don't know how it works with expansions, right? Because each expansion ship comes with new tokens as well. So if you're going to buy an expansion that has more ships, are you going to have some weird mishmash of chips? You can't do that, right? So I don't even know how that's going to work in the future. Yeah, so, so that that's j- just to pop in for a second. So first of all, when, when it's back in stock, because you are right, it looks like it's out of stock everywhere. Uh, most online merchants are selling it for, it for $25 to $27. I don't know if it changes your math at all. And yeah, kind of like with Bullet, Yes, they are selling deluxe chips and they're really nice. But in my bullet video, I had a link to uh, coin capsules, really cheap ones from Amazon. Uh, And they're great. Like some of the people on our Discord bought the ones I suggested and they worked out perfectly for bullet and they would work out for Warp's Edge too. So I would honestly recommend coin capsules. You can get like 200 for cover all your bullet tokens, all your Warp's Edge tokens and expansions for a little while. (laughs) And it feels great. You know, like I've used them for Arkham. You've played with those, Peter, the uh, coin capsule tokens. Yeah, and I think that's a more sustainable practice because Peter's right. Like, you get into weirdness. Like, are they going to do those deluxe tokens for every new expansion, or are you going to like have like different materials? I don't know. That'd be annoying. But I also, after playing it, do think I would have tired quickly if we didn't have the expansion enemies in there, and it's specifically the ones that draw out extra enemies from the deck. Because if you always know you have four enemies in front of you, I think the equation becomes less interesting because you can mostly stun all of them every turn if you want to. Whereas I think it becomes more interesting when you get a fifth enemy out or more enemies out and it really changes the math now. Okay, now I've got to reprioritize and prioritize differently or can I kill something to make me draw tokens and do things? I think they just add some interesting combinations. And a lot of times I will, you know, We say that there's not these big combo turns or whatever, but a lot of the enemies, when you kill them, they'll say draw three tokens from your bag. And between that and holding tokens and hold, you know, putting skills and activating them earlier in the round, I do feel like near the end of the round, you can get some pretty cool turns where you're kind of throwing stuff together. So I I do think there is some opportunity for that. Don't get me wrong. It's not the most strategic or, you know, exciting game when it comes to that stuff. But I do have fun with it every time. I just want to warn that I think 
that first expansion is actually not necessary, but I, I would highly recommend it. And that's another 10 or 15 bucks on top of the 35. We're just going to talk MSRP. I, I know you can buy them cheaper online, but you know, if you want to support your store or whatever, I, I think this quick solo game, you know, that I think is perfectly priced at 35 bucks when it gets up to 50 to $70, eh, now, now, now the value proposition changes for me a bit. Right. And so that's all I'm saying. That, that's all I'm saying is I would be careful of that because I would want all the stuff that we have and I enjoy it and I'm going to love playing it. But at $70, that that value proposition doesn't seem as good to me. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't want to buy it at $70, but now that I have it, I would probably buy it for $70. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> well, yeah, no, absolutely. Because trust me, I was about to buy it. Like I wanted to buy it. I was like, because it's a solo game, right? And I know you're enjoying it, keeping it at your house. I'd want to play it with my kids at my house. I was going to buy it. But then, you know, when you're recommending a game to somebody, and then when I looked at that price point and go, well, maybe not for that much, right? Like that's that's the only reason I wanted to throw it in here as, as a thought process. I do enjoy the game a heck of a lot. But at that price for what you're getting, uh, I don't know. I don't know. That yeah. that's my only hesitancy with this one. So again, once it's on online stores, uh if you want to do the coin capsule route like I said, if you go through Amazon, you should be able to get the base game and coin capsules for maybe like 34 bucks or 33 bucks total. Now, the Viren expansion is very nice, the, P- the one Peter's talking about, and I think that was $15 straight from Renegade. I'm not sure what they're going to do with future printings, so I guess we'll see. Sure. Yeah. And, and and again, I think it's a great game. So I don't want to talk people out of it if that's within your budget for this type of game. I think it's great. And I think you will enjoy it. And I think you'll have fun with it. And I mean, you can just start with the base game, right? That's the other part of it. You don't have to get all the stuff. I do think you'll want that Byron expansion. I think you're right more so even than the tokens. That would be a pretty quick purchase for me if you're enjoying what you're doing with the base game. Or if you watch some playthroughs like we have, uh, like Mike did on the channel, and you think it looks cool. I think if you think it looks cool, you will probably really like it. Man, Peter, I'm realizing since you suggested throwing Warp's Edge in here, I'm going to have to vote in our end of the year episode between like Warp's Edge and Bullet. It's some really, some really like favorite Mike games of recent years. So it's going to be, I mean, it's got to be better than last year, right? <laughs> like yeah, 2020 what, what, was not a great year for what me. Was, what was our top game of 2020? Do you remember? I, I don't want to, I don't even, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not going back there. I'm not going back. <laughs> it, was a, it was a dark time. It was a dark place in, in more ways than one. I mean, it wasn't um, Tainted Grail, at least. So I feel good about that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it might have been Jaws of the Lion for me, but that was a cheat because we didn't review it. I reviewed it without you. I don't remember what my other one was, though, which which tells you something, potentially. Yeah, yeah. All right, but uh, let's get into our design discussion, which is about solo-only games and I mean, I play a lot more of these than you do, Peter, so I'm I kind of curious to hear your thoughts to start off. My only experience with solo-only games was Hostage Negotiator. That was my original experience. And then One Deck Dungeon, although that plays two players, so I guess that's not solo-only. And then you got stuff like Nemo's War, which plays multiplayer, but not really. You don't really see a lot of solo-solo-only games. The only ones I could think of, I guess, are Hostage Negotiator and Warp's Edge, right? Or no, there's that Proving Grounds one as well in the solo series. Well, I'll say as someone who plays a lot of these, they're very, they're more common in like small card games. Like there are a good number of solos for uh button shy games. Uh, there's a uh, very vibrant, like print and play solo scene. Like a lot of people would do like solo in the games from that. But even like Sprawlopolis, which is probably the, one of the yeah, more famous has solo player. games has a, has a two player in it, yep, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So so it's kind of weird to see stuff. And honestly, we saw Warp's Edge early, right? We saw it 
pre-production because we know one of the developers that renegade and so we played it early on and i was like man why don't you add in two player to this right like co-op players would love this and so what do you think like would warp's edge be as good as a two-player game i mean you said you've tried to design uh, a co-op expansion for it what what are some of the hang-ups why would you keep it solo only so um for Warp's Edge specifically, I have two different co-op modes I'm playing around with. One of them relies upon you buying the deluxe tokens or buying a second copy of the game to have enough tokens. And the other one kind of divides the player duties among the two players. So you're doing way less on your turn. And neither one is really ideal. And I think that's one thing that Soul only gets down to is that you as a publisher can include way fewer components. Because... <laughs> Let's look at the other side of things. There are lots of games that play up to five or six players. And that's not really the way you want to play them. Like it takes way too long, at least for my taste. And I think for your taste too, Peter. But that publisher had to pay for four times as many cards and five times as many tokens and six times as many wooden meeples. So doing solo only lets you control the component count and uh, theoretically your manufacturing and shipping costs by like the weight of the game. Um, so I think that for Warp's Edge, at least, there's no way to do a a two-player co-op mode that I'm fully happy with without having components that are not in the base game. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think another benefit is, as we said earlier, sometimes player counts really affect your experience. I think Marvel Champions at higher player counts, and I know a lot of people have played it and like, eh, that game's okay, but not great. Most of them played it three or four players their first time because... You get a game, it says it plays to four. A lot of times you want to play it near the higher player count. You figure it's it's designed that way. And when it's not, you know, it can give you a negative impression of it the first time through. So I think it's bold and brave of people to go, you know what? This is best at one player and I'm just going to leave it at one player. Yeah, and I think the opposite. You mentioned this with Nemo's War, which is an infamous one in my mind, um, is when you do a game that is clearly solo only or best solo, like has its best play solo, and kind of tack on co-op just by purely dividing stuff up. And th- there are more and less successful versions of this. I think Nemo's War for me is one of the least successful because you're literally just taking the same stuff that the game fully expects one player to be able to handle. <laughs> like, it's not the easiest game in the world, but it's not like incredibly complicated. And it's just like, yeah, now you're each doing one fourth of that. Have fun. I find that like really not very interesting. Now, other games that I think kind of do the same thing, like I think of KDM as primarily a solo game, but it's fine to play it with two or even three players. I wouldn't play it four personally, but I know some people who do. And then uh, Dawn of the Zeds, which we uh, covered recently or talked about recently. You know, that's one that kind of does the same thing as Nemo's War, but I think the action system and the ability to kind of like take turns taking actions and stuff still makes it work better. But yeah, it is kind of a weird thing when you take a solo game and experience that, at least in my mind, is really most interesting for one person to work out. And then you just kind of cut it into pieces. You know, it's like I was going to give you one slice of pizza, but now I've given you like uh, 16 people each a 16th slice of pizza. Enjoy your, you know, tiny microscopic nibble. Um, <laughs> I think you can kind of fall into a trap there. And it's better sometimes just to leave it through solo. And yeah, like you said, stick to your guns and let that be what it is. Well, and I forgot about one of the most famous ones of all time. Let's not forget Friday, which I think is one of the first ones to ever do it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one that I, I, I very much enjoy, very much recommend Freeman Freeze's Friday. Just uh, if you're like me, you'll play it 10 times, have mastered it, and then never want to play it again. <laughs> so that might happen to you too. 
Well, I mean, you know, there every game has a shelf life, right? And I think part of the interesting part of the solo games is unless you get additional content, I think you do run out of content because the puzzles only go so far, right? You know, Warp's Edge, you said you were having fun playing with new ships against new bosses, but you're not going to play the same ship against the same boss 50 times in a row. Well, no, I, I've probably played the basic ship against the basic boss at least 10 or 15 times at this point, and I still have fun with it. Because okay. Warp's Edge is a bad example for me, at least, because even if I'm playing it mindlessly, just the like rinse repeat action of getting awesome and then blowing things up is consistently fun for me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can't even say I disagree with that because that is one of the most fun parts of the game for me as well. And you and I like quick leveling systems. It's funny because one of our designs, which never ended up coming out, but people are like, wow, you go from like zero to hero by the end of the game. I'm like, yeah, that's I mean, you and I, I think, really enjoy that feeling of getting better through the course of an hour, an hour and a half from where you're starting off really weak and you get really strong. And not every game gives you that. And I, I we're on a totally different subject now. But uh, I, I know that's something that Warp's Edge does. And I actually think a lot of these games do because Friday, don't you get better as you overcome challenges as well? Oh, absolutely. For Friday is very much a deck builder and deck color. Like that's the entire core of the game. Yeah, and Hostage Negotiator doesn't do that as much because you're using those skills. You'll get better skills, certainly, as you go along, but then you end up using those skills. So I think it's more of a ebb and flow in that way. Very much, yeah. You'll have some turns where, like, you saved up three awesome cards. You'll have other turns where you're doing literally nothing. Yeah, and and Final Girl has the same basic system, the upcoming one that's uh, also from Van Ryder. So as a solo player, are you more excited about a game when it says it comes out with it's for solo only or if you see a game and it says one to four but we all know it's a solo game are you just as excited about that that is a very interesting question i'll give you an example because we haven't talked about one of the most uh, popular genres of games that have true solo like in solo only which is war games and i've covered a lot of solo only war games castle itter and pavlov's house are both war games by David Thompson, friend of the show, David Thompson. He uh, did the Valiant Defender series. This is from Dan Verson Games. Castle Itter is solo only, and Pavlov's House is solo or two-player co-op where you just divide up the two things. And on the one hand, psychologically, I was like, ooh, Pavlov's House, I can play this with my son. But I didn't like, Pavlov's House was another example where it took like a part of the game that wasn't really that complex and divided it in two and like didn't really need to. So so here's the honest thing for me, Peter, and this won't apply to a lot of people. And I I do have to, whenever I mention this in anything I do, I have to mention uh, Liz Davidson because she's the one who kind of gave me this epiphany. We played Final Girl at uh, PAX U two years ago, I guess it was now. We played it two-player solo. (laughs) And what does that mean? We discussed our turns, but we took turns being the person who actually like did the actions. You know, we didn't alpha game each other. We just kind of like, talked it through and like when it was my turn i would be the one actually doing it i would have final say even if liz suggested something else and i would be the one rolling the dice and then on the next turn liz would do that and it was i mean i I gotta say it was an epiphany because why not (laughs) you know what i mean like so many co-op games are basically doing that anyway like some of them you have your avatar or you have your specific person it's really a lot like how we played dawn of the zeds and i had a blast playing that i wasn't like Oh, look at this dumb solo game we're dividing up between us. Like I was in fully engaged and fully having fun. Well, I would say if you're going to watch that playthrough on the stream channel, forward in about 30 to 45 minutes, because at first we were stumbling all over the place. Like this was an epiphany we had mid game, right? It's like, okay, you take one action, you take one action, you take one action, right? We weren't doing that 
at the beginning for sure. It was definitely more bumbling, stumbling, but we finally figured it out, I think, you know, three quarters of the way through. Okay. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And it worked out much better that way. So, so in a way at this point to kind of finish the answer, I almost am gravitating less towards solo mixed co-op games that clearly have kind of divided up the solo themselves and I'm almost kind of leaning towards games that are fully co-op and I know they're co-op and I know the co-op is good or fully solo where I know I can like share it with my son and we can like kind of play through it together with me coaching him or whatever. Because I think in the nebulous area in the middle, you get the higher chance of less development and less polish. Whereas, you know, something like Fields of Fire from GMT or Castellator, like I already mentioned, or uh, Field Commander Napoleon... Like, I know those are, like, robust, well-designed solo experiences that I can share if I want to with this new, like, mode of play that I've kind of discovered for myself. Isn't there an Apache Commander or something like that as well, where you're, like, leveling up and, and buying new stuff between missions? Yeah, well, that, 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 I, I did that on the channel. That's uh, Thunderbolt Apache Leader. Uh, there's a whole leader se- series from uh, Danvers and Games, and that's uh, probably one of the best regarded ones. That and, like, B-17, I think it is, Leader. Um, yeah, so, like, there's a lot of, like, fun... now. some of those I would not want to play with multiple people. Like the leader series is very much, it's kind of like a lot of like random tables or like the hunted and hunters series from GMT. Like those, I think really lend themselves best. You just like kind of sitting in your room and playing for like a couple hours uh, solo. But there are a lot of solo games that I've kind of found are super fun to share. You know, Warp, Warp's Edge is one. Well, I'll give you an example though. Like that appeals to me. As again, I I don't consider myself a solo player, but the thing that appeals to me is I love games like Blood Bowl with progression and even regression. I've said I enjoy the regression of things like Kingdom Death Monster and Blood Bowl. So, you know, you're like, oh, I'm so bad, a right? I'm running out. I'm doing all these cool things. And then your main guy gets killed and you're like, "Uh oh, now I got to figure out what I'm going to do next or I get to build somebody else up again. Right. So for me, those things are exciting. And so I think something, because the problem with things like Kingdom Death and like Blood Bowl is I need other people to play them. Now, obviously, according to you, you don't need other people to play Kingdom Death, but I, I enjoy playing it that one with other people. And so something that would be solo and would fill that same need means I get to play through a whole campaign of something like that. And I'm not waiting on other people. So I do see some kind of an appeal to that where there's a campaign system with progression. I think that's actually pretty cool. And I haven't played a solo game that has that. The closest I played was uh, Testament, which is not supposed to be solo, first of all. And second of all, you're not really progressing like you or you're only progressing you're not regressing so but i ended up playing through that whole campaign pretty quickly warp's edge i treated very similarly i took a ship and i started playing the bosses and i started at the one star boss and then went up to two star then the three and then there's a bunch of four stars and I played all of them and you know worked my way up through that trying to use the same ship now after a while i did start switching ships because i'm like all right i've seen this ship i should probably <laughs> experience the other ships as well just to get more variety in my plays but I like that kind of thing. I like going through a campaign and I think solo is probably better for that than most things because people complain about campaign games because they can't get their group together over and over. Well, I think a really good solo campaign game will solve that issue for a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be totally honest, like with me doing as many games as I do for the channel and everything every week, so much of my gaming, like I always try to play every co-op game with my family or with you guys. to like at least say that I've done it and like have that as part of my expertise in the game when I review it. 
But it all blends together in my mind at this point, because I'm playing games that are like co-op games for four or five players, all one-handed sometimes, just because I need to like get more plays in and see the systems in action more. So I don't know. It's 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 tough for me even to distinguish at this point. But I, I fully support uh, true solo, fully solo games, and I'm glad that they continue to be a popular part of our our kind of industry. You know. Sure. And so can you think of any other shining moment like, hey, if you're designing a game and you're like, wow, this works solo, but it could work cooperative, but maybe it needs some more work. Like, what are your words of advice for somebody who's thinking about or has accidentally designed a solo game because they found out their game was way better solo? What do you have any like final advice for those people? I guess it is just to be brave and be okay with that if that's what you want your game to be. And people are going to hassle you on every side. We see that with every game that comes out these days. If you make it solo only, they'll be like, why isn't it competitive? Why isn't it co-op? If you make it co-op, they'll be like, why isn't there a solo mode? If it's competitive, they'll say, why isn't there a solo? Like any way you do your game, unless you build in everything, someone's going to say they wish they did it. But I strongly recommend that you do what is best for your game and best for the play experience. Because... I mean, here's what happens. I've done this for several games. If you think your game is best as a 1v1 competitive game or best as a solo game, someone's going to come along and design a fan variant and get that like kind of fun out there anyway. It can certainly be good for your market share and your sales if you do as much as you can. But I think Peter and I are both firm believers in the integrity of your design above other things. Like I'd rather sell, you know, 500 copies of a game, but have me be very proud of the design then sell a thousand copies of a game, but I'm regretting it and seeing all these like terrible things we didn't have time to finish. That That's my personal outlook, and I think Peter's about the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if your game's a solo game, you're right. Be perfectly honest with yourself and be happy with the fact that it's a solo game. And there are people that'll buy it, and there'll be people, like Mike was talking about, that'll be happier knowing that it's a solo game. And you're not lying to them and telling them it plays four people, and now you get together a game for game night, and you whip out Nemo's War. Yeah, it's a four-player game. And you're like, wait, wait a minute, I get to do one fourth of a game here, right? Like, so I I think be honest with yourself, be honest with your game. If the game you've designed is a solo game or plays by far better at solo, don't put out the rest of the rules. Don't introduce that cooperative stuff. Do what's best for the game. And sometimes that's making a solo game and there's nothing wrong with that. And people are going to be happy about it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, Warp's Edge, big recommend for both of us. And yeah, make some solo games. And I'm, I'm Peter, honestly, I, like, I'm like. i very happy you are playing more. <laughs> I, I, yes, and don't worry, this isn't going to be one-stop solo shop. I know we have Solo Wednesdays already with Jason. A lot of his stuff covers solo and, and more off-topic stuff. This is a one-off for us, at least. I thought it'd be interesting to have a design discussion about solo versus co-op, and why not just make all these solo games co-op. But I think we came to a good conclusion here, so I'm happy that we had this discussion. And I had a lot of fun playing Warped Edge. I didn't want to play anything else, and that's why I wanted to do this review. Yeah, my son's been missing it, so I'll have to get it back from you, but you can keep it for another week or two. (laughs) All right, everybody. Have a great week of gaming, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I never thought I'd have so much fun playing solo. (laughs) 
it. That was that was actually kind of nice. <laughs> I don't even have a. You sloppy. laughed more at that than you laugh at my normal crap, and I was just being serious there. What's wrong I, with you, I man? I was laughing in a heartfelt way. That wasn't that wasn't mocking or anything, buddy. Has anybody ever laughed in a heartfelt way? Is that even a thing? Yeah, it's like, oh, look at the baby. Ha ha ha. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely not. 